you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, Fearless Business Coach. I've got a very esteemed guest with me today who has worked with some um, heavy-hitting international brands over his time in uh, branding, marketing, and understanding businesses in general. Uh, It's Minter Dahl. Welcome to the show, Minter. Thank you so much, Robin. Great to be with you. Excellent. So we're gonna um, we're obviously gonna find out a little bit more about Minter later on, but I wanted to dive into something which I think troubles a lot of business owners, especially in this day and age where everything is kind of happening online now more so than it was when we were sort of doing in person events. But authenticity and transparency in business, I think, is a big thing and tends to bubble away beneath the surface. But I know this is quite close to your heart, Minter. So explain to us what you mean around transparency on a personal and business level. Well, it, it is a tricky, it's, it's something we've been talking about a lot, this idea of authenticity and transparency. But when you sort of pull the covers off, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Just how much of you do you want to reveal? Is it okay to have secrets? Oh, if you have something that you want to hide, then do you have something bad? What, are you a bad person? So there's like this narrative around transparency that is complicated to manage. And I have been really wanting to explore, and in my new book I do, just how much of you do you need to be bringing to work to be considered the genuine article? It used to be, you know, back when I was young, you would start with, you know, you just, you had to be a professional at work and that's all account. You left everything at home at home. But now we've got this other idea, which, well, you need to be genuine, you need to be authentic. And if you're a shit at home, but you're trying to be a great person at work, is that okay? So I've really been wanting to sort of dive in just, just how much of you and how to do that in a way that is genuine, but also allows you to keep secret what needs to be secret. So I think there's a, um, you know, I guess social media has got a lot to play in all of this as well, because people tend to just share their highlight reel on social media. And then, you know, the amount of, especially, you know, a lot of the people that who will be listening to this, are, um, you know, they're coaches, consultants, freelancers, they run small businesses and they don't want to put themselves, they don't want to show any of that stuff that's going on behind the scenes for fear that it might put people off potentially doing business with them. And I actually think that you build better relationships when you do let a little bit of that, you know, I'm very open about talking about mental health. I suffer with depression, have done for years. And so I have no trouble with kind of talking about it because I believe that in talking about it, it helps people to see the real me, but also it helps people to, you know, maybe if they're struggling with depression, it opens up the door for conversation. So we don't want to hide everything away, but there's got to be quite, there's going to be a balance, isn't there, to getting it right Well, I, I mean, depression is a tough one, uh, and and it, bravo for you for talking about it. What I think, you, you mentioned the word show, like the showreel. I think that's part of the problem, is that sort of we're in this broadcasting show mode as opposed to exchange and converse mode. And, and the one is push, push, push. The other one is listen and, and take 
pauses. And in those moments, you end up feeling each other, understanding each other, as opposed to having an agenda where I've got to push this on you. I've got to slam this down your throat, which in part of what we do in social, but a lot of it's just this sort of bravado. And so if you can get more into a mode of exchanging, instead of just always posting out like your newest clip, how, how about exchanging and conversing with other people on social or just pick up the phone, damn it, and converse and have these more vulnerable moments. You need to find out safe spaces for that because otherwise it can go, it can go, you know, tits up as they say. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of it comes down to like um, people attach onto very interesting things, don't they? Or they create attachments to interesting things, most notably sort of money and sales is a big part of that in business. Um, and I have this notion around like pride. Okay. So everybody goes about their daily sort of business life with a certain sense of pride, but there is, Pride when you can do it without attachment. You just do things for the love of doing them without any expectation that you're going to get anything back in return. So that exchange that you were talking about. But there's pride when there's an attachment. Like, it's mine. I need It's my money and I need to make this sale for me to put food on my, my table. And so I think that starts to, you know, and that's when you start to see the falsities of when people's like, they have this false pride that needs to be fed. And I think that's what's kind of fueling this whole sort of, you know, show reel. And you see it on Instagram with all these beautiful women, you know, who are taking selfies in the gym and, you know, and their backsides are in the photos and stuff like that. And they've done their hair and their makeup and behind the scenes, they're an utter mess. And I just think it's really sad. Well, so I, I, I like to, um, I like to play with words, uh, Robin. And um, I think the issue with that pride is the prize. What is the prize we're aiming for? And if it's to have a bigger car, uh, a larger bank account, uh, it's a rather vacuous or empty type of prize to be aiming for. So if in the ambition and the project that you achieve, the prize is bigger. And what I mean by bigger is maybe for others, can be useful to others, making the world a better place, contributing something to the world then that's a better prize. And hopefully that will lead to food on the plate and money in the bank. But if you can aim for the, the right prize, then hopefully the chips will fall in. So that doing without expecting in return, I can do, and my desire is to return to the community something. Yeah. And let then the chips fall in, you know, the, whatever is the, the um, what do you call it? Poker chips, money <laughs> come back to you uh, in due time. But it's sort of a, a, there's a sequencing that needs to happen. So you've got to be patient as well. And I think, um, you know, you talk about with, uh, especially when it comes to kind of leading and I guess, every, you know, no matter how big or small the business is, it's going to be, it's going to be full of leaders, whether it's just one leader or a multitude of leaders. But you talk about how important it is for leaders to be more human, but also feel fulfilled in the process as well. Do you feel that, you know, with your experience of having worked with some, um, some big organizations, it's a bit, like you said, vacuous and, you got these people who are kind of just, you know, walking around a bit ghost-like, punching the numbers into the machine and not really feeling fulfilled through that process. Yeah. And that's how we have so much burnout. That's how we have so much disingenuous and shitty cultures in the business. 
because people carrying chips on their shoulders or unhappiness or lack of awareness of who they are. And, and by doing that, then you start putting on appearances and you're like bringing to work problems that you haven't actually resolved in you. And so the really, I, I mean, I, I think one of the things is getting more aware of who you are and being aware when you have weaknesses, aware that you need to compensate because you're maybe not good in some area and, and it's okay. All right, I'm not good at that. So I'll hire somebody to participate or complement my skills. And the other thing, which is, is challenging, which is to understand how to come to work and not always be okay. So it's okay not to be okay. Well, but just how unokay is okay. And so that's the the little tight right, tight right, tight rope walk that you need to do because obviously you can't always be in the the gutter. So you need to find ways, but it's okay to allow for it. And and I was brought up in this mode of stiff upper lip. Come on, we can do it. You know, like you're down by two points in a rugby game. It's pouring rain. Come on, we can do it. And you do need some of that. That's sort of that courage, the ambition to do so. But other times when you, when you walk in the morning with your team and you don't feel so great, well, show that that's okay at times. And that, I think that will gain greater engagement with your team. And what, what would you say is that, because this is something which I think a lot of people will struggle with, because sometimes it's kind of like if things aren't going 100% to plan, they just don't show up at all. So when you, if, if, the, if the answer is show up with some level of like transparency there, what's a good way to show up and kind of lay your cards on the table and let people know what's going on? All right. So everything's in due moderation. When, you're, when you are running a company, as I did, what I knew is that when I walked into a meeting, even if I wasn't speaking, I would be looked at. Your every action is being observed. And so you're under the microscope. And so this is, there's no like perfect prescription. But if you are just checking in before you walk into the office, if you will, if there's an office to walk into, of course, just gauge yourself and understand your feelings. Are you able to assess your own set of feelings, nervousness about something? Are you worried about something? Is it all right, can you explicit that worry and then make, make yourself aware? And then afterwards, when you come in and you haven't had a great night's sleep, maybe you're not going to put out on an all points bulletin, hey, I had a crappy night's sleep last night. You know, you might share it with some people and, and show in intimacy. It's not something you necessarily need to share with everybody. And I think that's the way to lead by example. Afterwards, I think the, for me, if you can understand why you're in business. That's how you get through the shit, the difficulties. And, and you need to be sharing that story as well, a lot more. So it's, it's, it's much less of a broadcast. It's much more of just, again, like you hear the term a lot, human to human, like dealing with people on a, one, a one-to-one basis. And when you're having those kind of personal conversations, that's the point when you kind of might just let a few people in on kind of what's going on around you. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it points to like, you know, I, I, I've seen, um, there was somebody on LinkedIn the other day who, and um, like, bless her, I felt incredibly sorry for her. She's obviously having quite a traumatic time kind of getting uh, for her, getting her family through. She's running her own business. She's got a young family getting through lockdown and everything that we've had to put up with the, you know, with the shit show that's been 2020. 
And um, she let it all out on a LinkedIn video. And there's a ton of comments and, you know, things like that. But there's also people on there who were saying, you shouldn't be sharing this. You shouldn't be airing this out in public, you know, like in this way, because you're just broadcasting and you want sympathy. And she even started the kind of her, her thing off by saying, I'm not doing this for sympathy. I just need an outlet. And this is just the way that I'm going to do it. Um, and it did come across as very authentic, but I'm sure there could, should have, should have, or could have been people closer to her that, she could have spoken to that because it did come across as a little bit of, is this feeding her ego? Is this for her? Is She's telling us her business hasn't been great. She's doing this as a marketing exercise to get clients. Is it a bit, but it left, it left me feeling like asking more questions than it answered. Mm. Well, I, 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 I certainly, I haven't seen it, so I, I won't judge it, but uh, I think that there's an element of things that we need to keep within ourselves. And this goes back to the sort of scale of transparency. And, and it's okay not to be okay. And you still need to improve. So if I, you know, this is with the scale of, of not okay. If I'm an ax murderer, then that's not okay. And I can't bring that to work. And I, there are many things I need to improve. So it's not about accepting all of your imperfections. You can continue to want to improve. And I think if you're, of course, if you're in desperate situation, a lot of the things I talk about can seem a little bit far off. If you, if you need sales in the door today, otherwise your business is going to close at the end of the day, let's not talk about fanciful purpose. You need to get freaking sales in the door. Yeah. And so there's a pragmatism to the way it goes. But I, I, um, I, I think that if you're, if you're in touch with yourself, well, then you don't hopefully have the explosion happen. Yeah. You need to, it's a constant work. But if you've been holding it and holding it and holding it and holding it, it's very likely there'll be an eruption. And I think that's what that speaks to, in my opinion, not knowing, of course, her, then, then if you, you know, can just give pieces out as you go along and be aware of yourself more than you won't come with the sort of, you know, yeah. crash landing. And, and there's um, like with any message that's being transmitted, there has to be a receiver as well. And I think, um, so in your last book, um, which was artificial empathy, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. So uh, artificial empathy is a book about embedding heart into business and, and artificial intelligence. And, and so I, I, well, first of all, the reason why I actually wrote the book was because I accompanied my best friend uh, who took his life. And, and it was in those six weeks that I struggled to figure out what was the right pitch, tone, understanding, emotions to be sharing or not. And I observed that I could have had more empathy which just meant really not blame, but more understanding of what he went through. And, and from there, I'd say, well, I want to make this something that business people can do, because if we can be more empathic in business, that can bleed into our personal lives. And, and we can be more empathic everywhere if we understand what it is, the benefits of it. And far from being a tyrannical empathic person. I think it's just about being more empathic. And that's what I tried to lay out in the book. And while I talk about empathy and AI, which can be very intriguing and gets lots of journalists calling me because, oh, is it really possible? The really the bigger question is how do you embed empathy in the H to H human to human story? 
and, and make that consistent with what you're trying to express or use your empathy for with regard to your customers? hundred percent. And I've got my voice back now, so we, we, <laughs> I'm good to go again. I, and I think that um, sometimes I feel that, um, you know, again, we can, we can look at this year and, and kind of um, it, it's, it's been tough for many people, but I think they've, a lot of people have got very insular and kind of focused a lot on self. And we're only starting, I feel, to kind of come back out of that and start to really focus heavily on other people. So that, that piece around kind of being able to listen and understand, like, you know, when somebody does come to you with a problem, right, we're going to have to just stop, put things down and, you know, focus on what's going on. I think it's super important. You know, we, we get it quite regularly in fearless business because, you know, the, the coaching journey kind of goes up and down a bit like that. And there are times when for clients, we've just got to kind of drop everything and just give them the attention which they, which they need, which they deserve in order to help kind of lift them back out of that funk. And the only way to do that is to be the opposite of selfish. Like it's just to be kind and like you said, empathetic and, and patient with them. Um, I suppose, again, like my question is when you start to go into bigger businesses where you've got more of a machine working, how, how easy is that? How, you know, what's the framework to make people stop and listen to one another? So uh, the, the, really the, the, the conjunction of problems is around time and stress. So time, well, we've only got a certain number of hours in the day and that ain't going to change. And the stress is generally around performance and depending on the governance and, and the ownership model and so on, you're going to have more or less stress. And time and stress are the two killers of empathy in business. So the, the thing upstream to think about actually is how can you create the time, choose to have the time to be able to do the listening and engaging in empathy that you would like to have. Because if you're saying, well, I never have the time to listen to other people, Oh, I don't have the time to go listen to the customers complain and whinge about my product. Well, that is a choice. And so since we all have 24 hours, it really is about figuring out really this time management concept and understanding what you need not to be doing. So the no. And, and the more you're able to fine tune what you're doing and activating or doing activities that are relevant to achieving your purpose, what you're about. First of all, it's going to give you back more energy. Second of all, it's going to allow you to not do things and give you some free time. And then you just need to find the time because as easy as it is to fill up time, it's, it's really the challenge is to sort of get out of that mode of me, 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 and, 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 and be aware that that person doesn't feel good. Okay, um, drop everything. Like you said with the client, go over. Hey, what's up? Oh, I'm fine. No, no, no. You know, you know, something's going on. And of course, if you're the boss and you haven't previously shown that sometimes it's okay not to be okay, that opening is going to be much more difficult. So, in anticipation of that. You need to roll in that notion, layer it in, that you're okay to talk about not being okay. Hey, I don't feel so good today. And then that's going to open up people. And when you do see people, you need to be on them. And it can't be coming to the conversation with, well, this person had a bad performance review last week, or, well, which can help the context, but you're not going to be thinking about that in the moment of listening. 
You need to zero in, be present, observing the emotions going on in the face, the hand and body language, obviously the words that are coming out and, and be present with that person. Don't think about your issues coming forward, what you had here for, for lunch be, well, be there for them. There's a lot of letting go, isn't there? There's a lot of surrender. It's just like, yeah, forget about everything else. There's just solid focus on that person. I, I remember um, I did a, some coaching work with a large law firm um, based locally to me. I won't obviously name them because it's not fair, but um, but they had uh, sort of 160 plus um, you know employees within this business, but they were losing 25% of the solicitors each year. And they, they brought me in just to do a little piece around sort of their, you know, staff motivation and things like that, just, just to try and understand like what was going on within the business. And I did a very simple goal setting exercise. So I, we went around a team, there's about a dozen people in the team that I did the pilot with and went around the team, what are your goals? And they all listed off the business goals, no problem, like no emotion, just here, this is what we're doing. Some, some did know what the business goals were for their team, some didn't. Um, I said, no, no, I said, um, I wanted you to write down your personal goals. And um, four, four of them, well, three of them broke down and started crying. And then one just was so, she couldn't everything just locked down. She couldn't speak. So when I dug into it, you know, one of the ladies who broke down, she'd been there for 20 plus years at this, this firm. And, and I said, what, what was going on here? Because obviously there's a big, this is, I think this is the crux of the issue with this firm. And she said, nobody has ever asked me what I wanted out of my life in this firm. And I was like, in 20 plus, and she's like, yeah, not in 20 years has anybody ever shown an interest in what's going on for me personally. And I couldn't believe it. And it obviously all made sense as to why so many of the solicitors were leaving because like nobody cared about them. I think that's really how most of us were sort of brought up and trained. You know, what's ever at home is at home. There's this uh, lady, um, Nikki Gattenby, who started up an agency and uh, recently exited from it. And, and she had this whole mantra, which is, we're here to fulfill you too. And, and in my new book, You Lead, I really lay, lay in this idea of inside out. And as much as we're trying to be customer-centric and customer-focused, actually start with your bloody employees. Start with you first. What are you trying to achieve? And if your prize is a bigger bank account, well, then rework it figure out what is the bigger prize because that needs to be something that's relevant for everybody. Let's say you're the entrepreneur or the CEO. It needs to be something that speaks to you and to your team. So what is that? And and it doesn't have to be 100% aligned because perfection is a silly objective, but come up with something that really speaks to the inside towards the out. And the example I talk about in my book a lot is um, the company I ran for L'Oreal called Redken. So they're a hairdressing company selling shampoos and hair colors and the like. You still have hair, Robin. <laughs> to hairdressers who then use these products on their customers uh, and, and, and then sometimes sell on shampoos and so on. So we had a mission that spoke to them because they're, they're businesses, they're entrepreneurs. There are 50,000 or so hairdressers in Britain and each of them, just to be local, and, and each of them is an ongoing concern. So even though they're creative and they're doing beauty and all this, they actually need to have money in the till and, and pay the rent and all that. So w- what our mission, or our, say, isn't that crazy? I've been, I left the company in 2003, but just shows you how much I still feel a part of it was earn a better living, live a better life. And it was a beautiful mission. 
because what you can do is you can help your, as a team, what the team I was running and I was also feeling, I can earn a better living and live a better life with Redken. So the, the, the challenge was making hairdressers earn a better living, live a better life. It wasn't for the customers of the hairdressers to earn a better living. There was more about living a better life. And then we had earn a better living, live a better life for all our partners, distributors. How can we make them better? So it wasn't always about the bottom line. It was about how can you be more confident? How can you be more fulfilled? What are you doing that's important and contributing to the world from the inside all the way out? And it's a really powerful model once you get it right. And I'll contra ever so slightly by saying that like the, 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 the goal of any business is to make money. That goes without saying, otherwise you're a charity. I mean, even with a charity, the goal is still to make money, but it's impossible to do that without that sense of purpose. So, so every business so the, needs that purpose. end goal, well, at least if you don't have money, you don't exist. And, but I disagree with the fact that is the goal. The, the consequence is making money, not the goal. Because if you are only setting out to make money, you'll, you'll do some shortcuts. Yeah. Like, well, we don't need as many people on the team. Um, I can make more money without them. Oh, well, that customer, they're a pain in the ass. I'll cut them off. Or, you know, I'll just, I'll make the plastic a little bit cheaper because I, I can earn a few more bucks that way. Yeah. Well, then lo and behold, the product doesn't work quite as well and doesn't feel the same thing. So you cut corners and you lose out people on the way. So it's the, it's the uh, sequencing that's important. Yes. So you need to make money to be in business. We had our mission was earn a better living, live a better life. Yes. So yeah, we were totally on board for earning a better living because if, but we said a better living and the how counts. So that's the sequencing. If you're in the how and the why more than just the bottom line, then you're going to end up with a better long-term, more sustainable business. Again, being pragmatic, if you don't have money on the plate today, you need to figure that out. But on balance, what you're trying to figure out is how to have a bigger purpose that people want to participate in, yeah. give before expecting in return, and then you shall, over time, get back. And that's why I think the, the goal and the purpose are so inextricably linked. And and that, that's and you mentioned something really key there about getting people to buy into that purpose, because that's that's one of the hardest things to do, especially in the lower down sort of food chain you go. You know, some people just see it as a job. I turn up, do my nine to five, take the paycheck and done. They it's really quite a struggle to buy into that purpose. And then when you see the great sort of, um, you know, leaders of these big businesses, it's the ones who are... Um, I would say what, you know, going back full circle back to the start of the conversation about the transparency and the authenticity and the realness that they're bringing to their role as a leader. That's the thing which probably inspires people more than having somebody who is just good at their job. Absolutely. I mean, really, it's, you know, why did so many people like Maradona? I mean, it's because he was imperfect. And uh, I, there's a great example, uh, I think, in big business, the issues are also include things like governance and what part of the business are you working in? Because, for example, if you're in a large organization that has 30, 40 brands and you're working for one of those brands, how different are those brands relative to the corporate set of values? 
because there's going to be distinctions between, let's say, in Procter and Gamble, the the um, the white powder you're selling to wash clothes, to wash dishes, to shampoo your hair, and and they necessarily have different environments and different values, and and you can't make them all perfectly aligned. So the governance model and how you how linked is your corporate name, i.e., shareholder, with your commercial name. And, and that link is important. The example I wanted to bring was um, a chap called Ronan Dunn, an Irishman. And Ronan, who used to work in Britain, now works in the States, he's head of Verizon Wireless. And something that's brilliant about him is that first of all, he takes the time to listen to his customers every day, even though he is a big swing, you know what? He, he's running a huge business but he takes the time because his time is strategic to listen to his customers every day, which breaks down the ranks that you know tend to protect you and give you the wrong information. Yeah. And the second thing he does, Robin, is that he flies his Irish flag, even though that might not please everybody. But he's okay to talk about the fact that he loves the Irish team. He loves rugby and he's going to hoot and hallow, you know, holler when Ireland wins a match. He'll bemoan his fate if they lose. So it's okay to belong to something and, and to fly your colors. You can't necessarily please everybody and belong with everybody. 100%. So touching on, um, kind of shift gears slightly, Minter, if that's okay. Sure. So I want to get to know the real Minter as well. So obviously you're originally French. Oh, and I'm obviously complicated. <laughs> I was I was born in Belgium to American parents and then moved to France and have basically had a home in France all my life. But I was educated in England. So history, sports, humor, culture, it's a, a more of a British story. And, and though I have a U.S. passport, so I, I also did live in America for 15 years. I've changed countries 15 times, wow. Robin and homes 34 times. So yeah, lots of change in there, but somehow I'm rooted in Britain. I was gonna say, cause I think you you speak more eloquently than even I do. And I'm obviously native Britain. I've never, I've been on holiday, but I've never really been out or lived outside of Britain. And you speak much better English than I do, which is slightly embarrassing then to- Oh no, no, you. it's all good, it's all good. <laughs> Um, so how did you, um, so obviously you've, you spent a major part of your sort of career working for Redken, which was, uh, underneath L'Oreal, wasn't it? So how, mm-hmm. how do you, what did your journey look like from a sort of business perspective? How did you end up with, with Redken? What, what did it look like to get there? Well, quixotic probably is the answer. It's like everything I do. I, I've done lots of things, but none of them perfectly well. Uh, I, you know, jack of all trades and definitely master of none. Uh, and and my, my journey to working in hairdressing, I mean, good Lord, um, it, it goes this way and I'll do it very quickly. Uh, trilingual literature degree at university, investment banking, tennis pro, travel agency for musicians, luxury leather goods, zoo, aquarium, business school, hairdressers. Wow. And that was, that's my journey. And uh, so to get to, how did they get to hairdressing? Well, I was at business school in France and I said, well, I really, I'm only interested in two companies. I targeted them from the very beginning, LVMH and L'Oreal. I applied to both of them. L'Oreal hired me before LVMH had replied. 
And there began a 16-year journey at L'Oreal. So where I did, I had various different, I, I think I changed nine times in the 16 years, uh, including five different country moves for them, but all of them in this thing called the professional vision. And, and that took me to 2009. And then from there, I um, took on another path, including trying to be a startupper again and, and write a few books and write a film and so on. <laughs> right. You write a film. Well, I did. Yeah, I wrote and produced a documentary film, World War II, personal story, but um, personal and shared. Uh, it's been on PBS in the United States, and it's on History at TV uh, here. Well, actually, on the internet, uh, but that's Dan Snow's History Hit TV and on YouTube and so on. It's called The Last Ring Home. It's a story about my grandfather. And um, I was told by PBS that the home's been seen by approximately 25 million people now. So it's not just a, a, a private secret. It's, uh, it's out there. Wow. <clears throat> well worth checking out. I've seen the trailer. I haven't had a chance to watch the full thing yet, but I'd thoroughly recommend it. Um, and also, so in terms of um, your other books, you've written um, Heart Artificial Empathy. We're going to sort of um, let everybody know how to get hold of a copy of your latest book in a second. But Future Proof, you wrote in 2017. What was that about? So that was written with my wonderful co-author, Caleb Storkey. Uh, hey, Caleb. And um, so Future Proof, uh, published by Pearson, is really all about learning how to use these new technologies for the betterment of your business. And yet, like everything I try to do, everything is about mindset. So the first three chapters, the most three important chapters of the book, don't need to read everything else. If you're an expert in AI, you won't really learn much in the chapter on AI, but it's possible you might learn something about genomics in the, in the genomics chapter and there are other technologies out there which are interesting, but it's the first few chapters and it's really all about fixing the mindset before you get suckered into the new shiny object, which is whatever technology to help you drive your business be more efficient. But if you can make your mindset more appropriate and that I'm always flying the flag of being more meaningful then there's a better chance of getting that engagement from your team, coming up with the right answers for your customers, which include using the technologies that are disruptive to help you drive it. So that's what Future Proof's about. Amazing. Well, I, I'm I'm always staggered by the amount of work which you you seem to put out with so sort of you know so much ease as well, Minter. It's quite well. It's not it's not easy, Robin. Thank you very much for the compliment. But it's uh, there's toil and sweat and hard work behind it. I I get up early, but I get up early and I I feel motivated because I feel like I'm I'm animated by this need to try to make the world a little bit better through business. And uh, that's my, that's what gets me up at five in the morning and uh, pushes me, even though sometimes I'm a little groggy or even hungover um, to do what I try to do. <laughs> and, and there's a whole side of you as well. So how we met originally was um, sort of around some branding and social media and things like that. And I'm sure we could probably record. In fact, let's do it at some point next year, 2021. Let's let's record another episode just on that alone. But um, talk to us about so the book's out on January the 3rd. Uh, it's called You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. It's been published by Kogan Page, which is, again, that's even getting Kogan Page on board is quite a, um, a big deal as well. So talk to us about the book. What can we expect? So the book... Um, is, is for everybody who wants to be a leader. And that can be as an individual um, all the way up to being the CEO of a large organization. And I, I want it to, to be sufficiently broad to allow for everybody to feel a portion of it. The key component that I, I'm trying to get across is are two things. One is 
just how much of you can you bring to work? And, and, and I try to demonstrate that through my story of, of trying to live, walk that talk in an organization that was L'Oreal in most cases and most of the examples I talk about and how that can be complicated because you live in a political environment and people are quick to you know, sh- take you down if, if the competitor is within your team for the same job. So you need to be smart. It's not about just throwing everything out. Yet, do you want to be engaging? Do you want to have people following you? And the second one is is to understand your limitations. And the limitations there are more around governance and who owns you. Because if you are 100% owner of your company and you you owe nothing to nobody, then you have a lot more liberty. But let's say you're owned 50% by a private equity company. You've got your little ones being held onto. And, and therefore, your room for maneuver and liberties are much, much tighter. So you need to understand what your room for maneuver is, the governance models. And if you can impact them, depending on where you are in the hierarchy, then you should look at them and bring your ethical framework to the picture at the same time. So yeah, that's what the book's about, trying to figure out how to be you, just how much of you you need to bring to work in a, in a messy world where nothing's perfect. And two, figure out your governance model and the amount of room you have to maneuver in order to be just about as you as you can be. Cool. And I uh, can we expect to get an audiobook version of that as well? Because I think everybody would agree. Listening to your listening to you, you have a very like silky tone to your voice, which is very like relaxing. Well, that's very kind, Robin. And so the funny thing is, um, I just heard that it will be out on audiobook and that they will choose their own reader. So hopefully they will choose a but I, I have two other books that are on Audible, which is Artificial Empathy and my first one, The Last Ring Home that I, um, where I have a woman who takes the role of the women in the book. Um, and, um, and the new one's going to be, will have an audio version. Uh, and, um, but I don't know exactly how to get it yet. It's not audible. <laughs> it's another, it's another, uh, organization. Uh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll definitely look out for that. And presumably the book's going to be available sort of on the usual channels on Amazon and, and various places like that. Absolutely. And I will do a little plug for one other site that, you know, people not always are keen to, to buy on Amazon. There are other sites like Waterstones and so on in Britain, but there's another initiative, which is really interesting called bookshops.org. And they are to help independent bookstores. And so they, they sort of facilitate the e-commerce side of it. My books are available on bookshop.org as well amazing excellent we'll definitely we'll share a link to bookshops.org as well in the show notes just so everybody can access that and if anybody wants to get hold of you mentor how can they do that well the i'm pretty responsive to everything um and i'm not even hesitating i can give out my email dial minter at gmail.com i am on twitter and i'm fairly responsive for an old guy old geezer on twitter at mdial and otherwise, um, I have a newsletter, podcast. Um, I try to be out there and I love to engage. So, um, yeah, do. It sparked always, me some thoughts. Always a sign when you, when you know that you're in amongst experts, when somebody has a Twitter handle that is five characters or less. I think that's quite impressive. Um, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I started early. That's the benefit. And the funny thing I learned, Robin, was that MDial is the short code in Spanish for Mundial which means worldly, so, or, you know, worldwide. 
Ah, got you. Well, there's a little bit of insight, which I didn't know. Ace. Right, we're, we're coming to the end now, Minter. Um, we're going to jump into the fearless business time machine. It's um, a little bit better than the DeLorean and Back to the Future. Uh, less Iranians with guns, thankfully. Um, we're gonna, you get to punch in the code, the, the date when you want to go back to, and you're going to have a word with Minter, T minus X number of years. So when is it and what would you say to him? So I would go with Minter in the in his late twenties, and uh, this is just when I was I, I was still a bachelor. Oh, that was only five years ago, Minter. I mean, that's... yes, indeed, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Wishful thinking, but um, yeah. So at that time, I was uh, I just had uh, finished business school. I was starting out at L'Oreal, and I, I was so caught up in the rat race. And it took for me to have really a life-changing moment to alter the course of things. And so the injunction I have, which I share, which is rather than wait for a life-changing moment to get on, get on with it, it being what's important, I would have rather had started off thinking about these things earlier and, and have the courage to follow through. Because it takes a courage not to do what you know, you've been trained to do or what your parents think is the great thing to do and so on. So that's the, um, yeah, that's the, the message I have for the younger mentor. I, I, I would echo that as well. I mean, I, I think most people struggle when they're sort of in their late teens, early twenties to know exactly kind of what life is going to, you know, what pathway life is going to lay down for them. And um, sometimes you have to go through that kind of mishmash and experience of kind of rock and roll and everything and mm-hmm. working out where you're going to end up in order to, I mean, look at, look at where you are now. I mean, perhaps you wouldn't be here if you'd actually had more of an idea back then about what it was. Exactly. Well, but I, and I, I choose the end of my twenties because I'd had, I had some baggage. I'd created some shit. I'd learned some stuff. I'd failed at two businesses already. And so I, I was like, all right, now what? And I jumped in this idea of staying in a corporate world. That's I had, but I had a very strong vision of that. But where I was wrong, or at least where I could have improved, was being more meaningful from the get-go, and and have that conviction and courage to follow that idea. By the time that I already had some, you know, some elements, some heaviness to who I was. Yeah, no such thing as failure, Minty. You said use the fateful word there, failed at two businesses. Actually, just think about what you learned through that experience. Oh my gosh. I keep <laughs> those learnings with me every day. And the big one, Robin, which I, I, I keep on is it doesn't matter what business you're in, it matters with whom you are in business. And that was the big learning because both times where I where I failed, well, it wasn't a bad idea. We had an interesting idea, viable ongoing business. But it was the partners that yeah. needed to, uh, the people with whom. And I'm not saying they were bad. As a team, we weren't good. Yeah. Gosh, again, you've opened up a can of worms there. Something probably for the next time we catch up, Minter. Listen, Sounds it's been good. an absolute pleasure. I'm really grateful for you taking the time to come on and chat with us this morning. Um, and you're welcome back anytime. And uh, what we'll do is we'll share all of the links in the show notes as well. But I would encourage everybody to go and grab a copy of um, You Lead. Um, I haven't had a chance yet to read it myself. I'm going to have to, um, hopefully you'll get me an early copy, signed copy, Minter. With pleasure. And um, I can I can have a good read of that, but we'll make sure that as soon as that's available, we'll share the links to go and buy it as well on uh, the website, which you mentioned, books. Which, well, which, bookshop.org and bookshop. Amazon and a few others, you know. Lovely. 
Excellent. Uh, listen, everybody, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do drop me and Minta a line. Drop us a message in the comments or uh, email us. We always like to hear from our listeners. Um, if you're interested to know more about what Fearless Business gets up to as well, please do head on over to fearless.biz. Check out the free resources we've got in there for all of the various different coaches, consultants, and freelancers that we uh, love to connect with. Uh, for now, though, we're bidding Minta uh, a fond farewell and we will catch up with you anon. Thanks a lot. Thanks.